Welcome to the Perfect Puzzle, where we study and take a look at various parts of Scripture. Uh, I'll begin by reading our passage for today. And I want to share with you something God's been dealing with, with me in my own life. And if you'll turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2, you know, we'll start reading around verse 22 and read on down through verse 26. Uh, so it's 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 22 through 26. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil, who has taken them captive to do his will. Please pray with me. Holy Father, we're standing before you right now before your word is sinners, and Father, every one of us has broken your law. We deserve in and out of ourselves to hear nothing from you. And yet, Father, we stand here spattered with blood. We stand here hidden in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, you would knock out of the way in our hearts that whatever, whatever needs to be removed, that you would call forward and cultivate whatever in our lives needs to be grown in order to conform us into the image of Christ. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin by asking you a question. How many of you are troubled or struggling with the way we're having conversations in our current culture? If we combine our social media-driven culture with an increasingly hostile environment for Christianity, you know, I'm convinced of two things. The mission of Christ and the message of his word has not changed. But how we convey that mission and message must change. Now, the way I see Christians operating within today's society is often spreading more heat than light. And many of you right now feel the frustration by the posts that you see on social media from some of your so-called friends on Facebook and some of the other platforms. Some of them are sending requests and invite you to play Vegas casino slots and you sit there and say, do you know me? And then also proceed to post all those really creepy, paranoid, manipulative things on Facebook. Things like a picture of a heart. And it says, if you love children, repost this. And I know most of you won't do that, but I know that those of you with a heart will. And I sit there and say, are you kidding me? And I want to say, what is wrong with you? I want to yell at the screen. But as I think about it, I realize that those Facebook posts, social media posts, they're really nothing more than a contemporary version of something that's been going on for a long, long time. And that's bumper stickers. There was a study years ago at Colorado State University about road rage. They just studied how to decide who is more prone to road rage. And they found out there's no predictor when it comes to social class. There's no predictor when it comes to ethnicity. There's no predictor when it comes to age. doesn't matter how old you are. 
There's only one predictor they could find as to who is more prone to act with road rage behind the wheel. And that's bumper stickers. And the interesting thing about it is it doesn't matter what the bumper stickers say. Doesn't matter if the bumper sticker says Jesus saves. Doesn't matter if it says legalize pot. Doesn't matter if the bumper sticker says show random acts of kindness or my kid can beat up your honor student. Doesn't matter at all. The issue isn't the content of the bumper sticker. The issue is the presence of the bumper sticker. And what they found is the more bumper stickers that are on a vehicle, the more likely that person is to engage in road rage. Now the researchers reported the reason for this is because a bumper sticker or a Facebook post really isn't meant to persuade anyone. It's not a method of dialogue. You know, there are very few people who have changed their minds about the gospel of Jesus Christ or gun control or marijuana legalization or any number of other things because they've seen a bumper sticker and said, you know what, what was I thinking? That's not what happened. And I've been wrong all this time. No. Instead, the bumper sticker serves a purpose of self-identity. It's my way to tell you who I am. And it portrays the sort of personality that has a need to consistently say, listen to me, this is who I am. And it's also the sort of personality that can easily tip over into outrage. Now it's really easy for those of us who follow Christ, and it's especially easy for those of us who follow Christ in a culture that's increasingly secular and in many ways increasingly hostile to Christianity to fall into this sort of venting or outrage. It really doesn't seek to win or plead or persuade or win the hearts and minds of anyone. It simply seeks to express that this is who we are. But it's this what we should be broadcasting to those around us? Now, I don't think so. You know, what the rest of the world hears when we do this is a cowardly, scared people who've lost the will to fight. Now, that's exactly what Timothy's problem was. If, if you notice, as you read through these letters of the apostle to Timothy, Timothy has a problem. Timothy is timid. Paul, in the previous part of his letter to Timothy, Timothy, if you read it, is consistently encouraging him and strengthening him, stirring up the flame that is within him, talking about treating his, his, his stomach that was all out of kilter, possibly due to anxiety, saying to him, don't let anybody discourage you because of your youth, telling him to be a good soldier, be a good athlete, be a good farmer of the gospel. He's constantly saying to Timothy, fight, fight the good fight of faith. Fight, 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 fight. And then at the part of the, the letter that, that I just read, Paul says something that seems in many ways contradictory to that. He says, Timothy, flee. He says, Timothy, run away from impurity and ungodliness and unrighteousness and the passions of youth in your own life. And then he says, act and speak with kindness. Now the word kindness is something that Paul in the book of Galatians speaks of as a fruit of the Spirit. See, those who belong to Christ will exhibit kindness. And one of the problems we tend to have when we see this word in Scripture is that we think of this word as weakness or passivity. That's not what kindness is. 
or we tend to think that kindness is the thing that we display only to those who are with us, only to those who share with us a common identity or a common mindset. But, you know, that's not distinctively Christian at all. That's Darwinian. Even in a Darwinist understanding of the world, we show kindness and affection to those with whom we have a natural bond. No, the scripture says, be kind to everyone. Show honor to everyone. Paul says, show this kindness and gentleness to your opponents. And why is that? Because for the scriptures, for the apostles, for the believing community, kindness is not a break from fighting. Kindness is how you fight. Paul says, I want you to flee from unrighteousness in your own life. And he says, I want you to be careful how you fight. He says, you must not become involved in ignorant, foolish controversies. And what's Paul saying? He's saying, you've been given a mission and a message that Jesus has handed off to you. Do not become distracted from that mission by engaging in foolish, ignorant controversies that have nothing to do with the mission of Christ. He says, you know that what happens is that these things breed quarrelsome. And the man of God must not be quarrelsome. Russell Moore, the editor of Christianity Today, tells the story of how several years ago he was serving in a church. He had a group of kids who started to come to that church on Wednesday nights, completely unchurched kids. Most of them didn't have fathers. They had never been in the church. They'd never been around Christians at all. They'd been moving around, maybe in military families all over the country, and had no contact with Christianity whatsoever. So much so, they didn't even know how to act among the people of God at all. Some of them would come in in a cloud of marijuana smoke. They would ask all sorts of questions about the gospel. Questions like, so you really believe this dead guy came back to life and he's going to show up in the sky on a horse for real? Jesus, it just seemed absolutely incredible to them. And he kept trying to move those kids from the Wednesday night service into the worship service with the rest of the people. Then finally one night it happened. A group of them came in for a Sunday night service and he saw one of those kids sitting in the back with a senior adult, a godly senior adult man, in an intense conversation with him. He was so happy. He said, you know what? Here we go. We've planted the seed. We've watered the seed. And this godly man is coming and he's reaping the harvest. He's pressing the gospel into this kid's life. And as he walked up and heard the man continuing and finishing his conversation, as the man says, and that's why you shouldn't wear a ball cap in church. He was devastated. He pulled a guy aside and said, this kid's head toward the lake lake of fire. We've got time to deal with whether, you know, we got time to deal with whether or not he ought to wear a ball cap. The issue in his life is he's headed toward judgment without a gospel and without Christ. Why would our word to him right now be hat etiquette? That's exactly what Paul's talking about here. He says all of us have a tendency to get into all these spats and disputes and fights over foolish things that divert us from the main task. Not only that, he says this sort of activity, these fights and these quarrels are self-diminishing. He says, these quarrels turn you into a person who is quarrelsome. Verse 24, Paul says, but the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. 
Now notice what Paul says. Fight, fight, fight. The one who does not fight the good fight of faith is someone who is unfaithful to the Lord. Someone who is a coward. But he says there's a difference between someone who will fight the good fight of faith and someone who is looking for a fight. You know, there's a certain personality in our flesh that would want to be fighting anyway. And the gospel serves for us as a sort of stand-in. To fight in such a way that we can be more spiritually minded about it. When we, would, when we would be fighting anyway. He says the Lord's servant must fight, but the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Why? Because the task and the mission you have I been given is not a matter of protecting our identity or even ourselves from personal offense. How many of us find ourselves angry and ready to quarrel when we sit down with those lost relatives at a family Christmas or family Thanksgiving? They start to make comments that make our blood pressure rise. Not because we're grieved these people are lost and going to hell, but because we believe they are saying that we are stupid. We take personal offense. How many of us, when we see these bumper stickers, you know, say born right the first time, or the fish that's supposed to look like the Jesus fish with legs spreading out that says Darwin, our outrage is not toward the power of the devil who binds and holds in captivity. Our outrage is because we're being insulted. So insulted that we've come up with our own bumper stickers of the Jesus fish eating a Darwin fish. You know, we'll out Darwin you. No, Paul says, the Lord's servant is the Lord's servant doing what the Lord tells him or her to do. Which means this person must be kind to everyone able to teach and patiently enduring evil. He says, I'm not protecting my own sense of, sense of honor. I'm not protecting my own self-esteem. I stand before the Lord. I am protecting the gospel. I am protecting the integrity of the gospel. I'm fighting the good fight of faith, but I'm not protecting my own sense of who I am. That can't be taken away from me. Paul says, you patiently endure evil, you diminish yourself in the sight of God. Then notice what he says. He says, you come at this with a broader vision. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean the Lord's servant doesn't speak? The Lord's servant has a sense of politeness where the Lord's servant simply lets everything go and doesn't say anything except say in your mind, you know, I'll pray for you when I get home. That's absolutely not. He says you must be able to teach and correct opponents. But how do you speak? You do it with kindness and gentleness. And why do you do that? Because you know what's going on. That God may perhaps grant repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. Because what is their problem? They're in the trap of the devil having been captured by him to do his will. The people we're talking with, including the people maybe even in our own families or maybe even you know in our own communities who think you're crazy, think you're bigoted, think you're evil, those people are not your enemies. They may be your opponents. They're not your ultimate enemies. Scripture says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers in the heavenly places. And we speak to them with truth and conviction, but we speak. 
Paul says with gentleness and kindness. Why? Because our ultimate objective is not to win an argument. If we all we wanted to do is prove we're smarter than the people who disagree with us, if we could find that killer argument, say it, you know, spike the football, turn around and walk away. That's not the mission we've been given. He says so that God may grant them repentance and come to the knowledge of truth. Now how do people come to repentance and to the knowledge of truth? How did you come to repentance and knowledge of the truth? Now the people we're talking with are not the only ones who've been held captive by the devil to do his will. At one time, all of us were hiding from the voice of God. And we hide behind different things. Some people hide behind Satanism. Some people hide behind Buddhism, Hinduism, Atheism, Darwinism. And some people hide behind self-righteous but unregenerate Christianity. We all hide somewhere. But what can actually change us? You know, there are very, probably very few of you listening who came to Christ the first time you ever heard the gospel. Some of you, maybe, but probably not most of us. Most of us heard the gospel over and over and over and over and over again until suddenly, one day, something changed. And what was it? It wasn't a new argument. Most of us didn't sit there and say, Oh, wait, there's some archaeological evidence there were hit at the word of God is true. What must I do to be saved? Most of us heard the exact same gospel presentation, repented, and be found in Christ, Jesus crucified, buried, raised from the dead. But we heard in that particular message a personal calling. We heard our own name being called. That is how the gospel works. Paul says when you're speaking to lost people, you are not an intellect speaking to another intellect. You are not an argument speaking to another argument. You're not a bumper sticker sticker speaking to another bumper sticker. You are an ambassador of Jesus Christ pleading. 2 Corinthians 5 As though Christ himself were pleading through you be reconciled to God which means we say everything Jesus told us to say. But we say it the way Jesus says it. Now the people we're talking to aren't simply to hear the content. They are to hear that North Galilean accent that says, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It also says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He says, when you speak with conviction and when you speak with kindness, with gentleness, with a strategy that says, woman, where's your husband? He doesn't leave the immorality alone, but he doesn't pick up the rocks either. He speaks with a word of conviction, but with a word that says, I know where there's living water that you don't know anything about. Paul says we speak with that sort of conviction. We correct opponents. And yes, Jesus got angry. But who did he get angry with? With those people who claimed to speak for God to the rest of the world. He never got angry to those in need of rescue. 
We correct opponents, but there's a difference between those who are on the inside and those who are on the outside. And we speak to those who are on the outside with a sense of love and kindness and also with hopefulness. Why is Paul able to be kind and gentle even as he is convictional? It's because he goes on through here in chapter 3 and he talks about all the false teachers in the church. And Paul does as he consistently does, which is exactly the opposite of what we so often do in a contemporary church. He speaks with a gentleness toward lost people who are not identified as Christians and with a harshness towards those who are using the gospel of Jesus Christ in order to kill and to destroy, even as Jesus himself does. But even as he does that, in the last days, there will be false teachers. In the last days, there will be those greedy for gain. In the last days, there will be those who are taking people captive by immorality. And he says in chapter 3, in verse 9, these people are not going to get very far. The reason we don't snarl at a Walmart clerk who says, Happy Holidays, the reason we don't wring our hands and fret when we see whatever the newest atrocity is on TV, is not because we don't care. It's because we have the confident, confident tranquility that when he, Jesus says, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, that Jesus knows what he's talking about. Jesus is willing to go as he is being arrested. He's not willing for Peter to take up the sword and fight. Not because Jesus is not a fighter. It's because Jesus says, Peter, your sword play is pitiful. I could call 12 legions of angels right now, but I'm engaged in the kind of war and the kind of fight that is paid for with blood. Now, we have the joyful confidence of people who are not on the wrong side of history. We're people who are marching forward, and we are speaking to the people around us with calmness and confidence, recognizing that your church is not some beleaguered little interest group threatened with extinction. The church is surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, is as mighty as, as an army with banners, and Jesus himself is bending all of history toward him. The one who ought to be outraged, the one who ought to be scared, is the one the scripture says, who knows that his time is short. Our time is not short. We'll have trillions and trillions of years as kings and queens of the universe. That's our true identity. And our place right now is not isolation. Yes, we correct opponents, but our test right now is to remember, as Paul says, remember what you have learned and from whom you have heard it. You speak the truth, and you speak the truth with a gentleness and respect. That's your steamroller, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You handle the arguments, but you don't stop with the arguments. A new Jerusalem made up of those from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language redeemed with blood. That's the commission we have been given. So we speak and we fight and we stand. But we do that with a Christ-like manner that recognizes that kindness isn't sur surrender. Gentleness isn't passivity. 
kindness, gentleness, conviction. That's war. That's our fight. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray right now we can imagine in our minds perhaps family members, perhaps neighbors, perhaps someone out there in cyberspace, Father, we're tempted to see as just an argument to be vaporized. Father, I pray that those faces that are on our minds right now, Father, you would give us broken hearts, that we would weep, that we would pray, that we would speak with the kindness and gentleness and conviction that seeks to end the conversation. Not with a humiliated opponent, but with a new brother or sister in Christ. Father, we ask you to give us the power to be fighters, but not quarrelsome, to be kind, but not weak, to be Christ-like. And we ask this in his name, in Jesus' name. Amen. And thank you. This is the perfect puzzle.